Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Metabolism and Menopause podcast. My name is Stephanie, and I'm your host and CEO of Vitality OET. We are a women's nutrition, health, and fitness company that focuses predominantly on women's hormones, particularly as you start going through perimenopause and onwards. We know that during this time in your life, you start experiencing so many changes, whether that be hot flashes, night sweats, irritability, brain fog, or that lovely weight gain that came around your belly, seemingly out of nowhere, despite you not changing anything. So you go back to your tried and true methods of cutting calories, cutting carbs, doing a bunch of cardio, yet nothing seems to be working. You're putting in all this effort and getting what seems like no return. You're absolutely exhausted. You're not sleeping well and you just feel like garbage. So this leaves you feeling absolutely desperate and feeling overwhelmed and having no idea what to do. But we know now that your body is inherently different than what it was prior to you experiencing these hormonal changes. So our mission here at Vitality is to help you understand how your body changes in this time of your life. So you can finally feel in control and at home in your body again, reach those health and fitness goals and really live a life full of vitality. And we want to teach you how to take care of this new body of yours. So today, what I want to talk about is estrogen dominance. I've talked a little bit about it here and there in different kinds of hormonal imbalance type podcasts that we've done in the past, um, how it pertains to weight gain, things like that. But I thought estrogen dominance really deserved its own podcast completely on its own. So let's dive right into this. What is estrogen dominance? Well, first we have to think about the different hormones that we make, which produce estrogen, sometimes referred to... E1, E2, E3, there's three different kinds. So we have estrone or E1, which is produced after menopause, when your body stops making E2 and E3. E2 is the dominant estrogen for women from puberty up until menopause. And then E3 is increased during pregnancy. So there's three different kinds. They have different purposes and they really appear in different times of our life. And these are things that we should know because there are different kinds of estrogen. But does anyone talk about this? Of course not. So then we also have to think about progesterone and testosterone. Each one's going to fluctuate and change depending on where you are in your cycle, where you are in your life as well. So first, let's talk about the menstrual cycle a little bit because I think it's important to have a good background as to, okay, this is what typically happens so we can understand what happens when it's not where we want it to be. So during menstruation... Estrogen is low and it's going to rise during the follicular phase as your body starts to prepare to release its egg with estrogen peaking just prior to ovulation. It makes its drop as you go into your luteal phase, the phase between ovulation and your period. Okay, this is where most women will have their testosterone come up as well. And this typically is going to help with fertility, increase your libido just in time for ovulation. Progesterone then starts to take over and supports that second half of your cycle between ovulation and your period, and you must ovulate in order to produce progesterone, which is important as it balances out estrogen um, because estrogen can be a little bit dramatic, so progesterone and estrogen are kind of like this yin and yang. They kind of balance each other out. So if one is off, you can imagine that it really affects the whole system. So progesterone is going to help protect from estrogen-related cancers. It's also gonna promote deep sleep. It helps you feel calm and chill so when we feel like we're not really relaxed and we feel like maybe we're starting to overreact a lot. 
um, or not feeling grounded. This is typically because progesterone is low. I did a podcast not that long ago on progesterone and the differences between progesterone and progestin, which is typical in a lot of HRT and very common in birth control, which can really mess things up. So if you want to learn more about progesterone itself, head back to that podcast. It wasn't that long ago. So estrogen has phenomenal benefits when it's in the correct amounts. It helps support pregnancies. It gives women curves, supports plump and healthy skin, improves your memory, your immune functions. You're not getting sick as easily and you recover more quickly. Helps with maintaining and building muscle mass so you look fit and toned. Helps your insulin sensitivity and controlling your blood sugars. Um, Helps with weight maintenance, gives you strong bones, and helps balance your mood. So you can see there's a lot of benefits to estrogen and when our levels start to fluctuate, we start to notice those things kind of go to crap, right? We, we see our muscle mass not doing so good. Maybe we start getting screened for osteopenia and osteoporosis. Uh, our blood sugars might not be that great. We start seeing weight gain. We're having like cognitive issues, like our memory isn't that great. We're having our brain fog. You know, we feel like our skin looks like it's aging more quickly. Um, so these are all things you're probably like, yes, oh my gosh, that's me. Yes. Yes, estrogen is a wonderful thing. And when it's not where it's supposed to be, um, it can really wreak havoc on our bodies. So obviously we need all our hormones in the right amounts in our body um, and in a balance to each other as well. Too much of one or not enough of the other can really cause some hormonal imbalances, which you know if you've listened to the past podcasts in particular that I've had more recently we really dove down into like, okay, if we have not enough testosterone, not enough estrogen, not enough progesterone, these are things that can really happen. Um, but again, today we're going to talk more specifically about estrogen dominance. And it's something that we hear about quite commonly. Um, it's also sometimes called as excess estrogen. So what exactly is this estrogen dominance? Because it's a word that's thrown around a lot. A lot of people seem to suffer from it. Um, and there's a few different causes of it, and we're going to really deep dive into it here. So our liver does an amazing job of metabolizing and filtering out hormones and toxins and drugs and alcohol, which is a toxin. Um, but when our liver isn't able to metabolize all of our estrogens or metabolize things well, we end up having too much that stays in our bloodstream. So estrogen is higher in our bloodstream, circulating a lot more, um, especially in relation to our progesterone levels. So estrogen is too high and progesterone is too low. And this is what we call estrogen dominance. And what is happening in our liver is when estrogen arrives, the liver inactivates it by giving it a special molecule, kind of like a handle. Okay. And this is what we call um, conjugation. Okay. Um, when it goes to be packaged up and sent out of the body through our stool. So it gets this handle and then it gets the signal, okay, this is going out through stool. This is how we're getting rid of the excess, excess estrogen. But there are other things that can really affect this process, like constipation. If you're not having daily bowel movements, uh, your body can actually reabsorb those estrogen molecules. It's not getting eliminated quickly enough, resulting in excess estrogen. If we have um, imbalances in our gut microbiome, so our gut health isn't doing so good, that's also going to affect this process. And we're going to touch on that a little bit later, um, but those are two things to kind of just like keep tucked away because we're going to get back to. So there are two types of estrogen dominance. There is frank estrogen dominance where your body just makes too much. 
Okay. Um, so things like having excess body fat, microbiome imbalances, so gut health imbalances, gut bacteria is off, poor digestion, impaired liver detoxification, high amounts of xenoestrogens, um, that can cause this kind of frank estrogen dominance where our body just is producing too much. Then we have relative estrogen dominance. And this is where you have too much estrogen um, when you're comparing it to progesterone. Um, so things like an, an ovulary cycle, perimenopause, PCOS, high stress levels, um, high inflammation levels, and birth control can all cause that. So you can see how there's a lot of things that can cause different types of estrogen dominance. Having high estrogen in itself is not a bad thing, but having high estrogen doesn't necessarily make you feel bad. But if you don't have enough progesterone to counterbalance it, that's when you start having some pretty crazy symptoms. We're not feeling so good. So having the right number of hormones is necessary to hormone health, happiness, and also a great waistline. Estrogen dominance can lead to an imbalance of neurotransmitters like norepinephrine, serotonin, dopamine. So you're losing some of those happy hormones and you start having more like anxiety and more tension, stress, more aggressive PMS type symptoms. Other common symptoms of estrogen dominance are going to be heavy or irregular periods if you're still having one, water retention, so feeling like puffy and more bloated, breast swelling, breast tenderness, headaches, sugar cravings, low libido, brain fog, changes in memory, migraines, fibrotic cysts, weight gain, mood swings, hair loss, painful periods, hot flashes, anxiety, constipation, gut issues like SIBO or a leaky gut, um, and even more severe issues like fibroids, endometriosis. So you can see when things aren't where they're supposed to be, we can start experiencing a lot of crazy things, yet people don't really tell you how do you deal with this stuff, right? This is, oh, that's just estrogen dominance. Well, we'll just toss you on some birth control. No, we're not addressing the root cause of the issue. And that can actually make things worse if you listen to the progestin progesterone live that we did. So not a good time. <laughs> then you can also see that estrogen dominance can also lead to issues with your thyroid by increasing levels of thyroid binding globulin. And this can decrease the amount of available thyroid hormone, which results in hypothyroidism. So your hormonal imbalances are going to affect your thyroid function. And we know that when your thyroid function is not optimal, your metabolism slows down. Your body's thermostat on how many calories you burn at rest starts to turn down. So your body gets crappier at burning calories. And of course, that's going to make a weight loss more challenging. You're going to be way more tired. You're going to not be motivated to exercise. And it makes things, it definitely makes things more challenging. Doesn't mean you can't deal with it, but this is something to be aware of that your estrogen dominance can lead to hypothyroidism. But people are always like, oh, we're just going to monitor your thyroid. Or oh, we're just going to monitor your thyroid. Well, no, you're going to wait until it gets bad enough to treat it. Why don't we figure out what's causing a downward trend or why levels aren't optimal and testing your hormones as part of this process. And the fact that doctors don't do this just drives me crazy. And I don't understand because we could prevent so many issues if we were just pro proactive with hormone health. But unfortunately, that's just not the way our system works right now, which is insane to me, which is exactly why I left healthcare. <laughs> Um, so many of these symptoms are going to be similar with estrogen dominance as well, the thyroid stuff. So this is where we start seeing 
the hair loss, the constipation, joint pain, menstrual irregularities, fertility issues, anxiety, dry skin, depression, weight gain, exhaustion. So, oh, sorry, I just burped a little bit. My bad. It's not bad. I've done like 60 some episodes and I've only burped on on the hair once. Not too bad. Um, So you can see how things can get misdiagnosed or sometimes thyroid issues go misdiagnosed for a very long time because they just attribute it to, you know, your, your estrogen dominance or perimenopause, right? Like it can get really just, things can get just missed a lot and especially women's health, unfortunately, um, which again is insane. This is why I'm trying to teach you guys because it's important for you guys to understand so you can advocate yourself um, because you can understand what are your symptoms? And it is a big deal. If it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to us. And that should be a big deal to your doctors. So now let's talk a little bit about where estrogen is produced. And this one was not going to shock you, but estrogen is actually produced in your adrenal glands, as well as the brain and your ovaries um, and testes. Yes, men actually make small levels of estrogen as well, and it's necessary. And it's also made in fat tissue. So when estrogen is not being produced in the correct amounts, or it is high in relation to progesterone, estrogen can cause weight gain, which sucks to hear, but don't worry. We're going to give you solutions. I always give you the doom and gloom and the education first. Solutions will come after, I promise. So when we have excess fat, it causes increased estrogen production. So see what happens there? It's kind of this cycle. So estrogen also signals fat storage, which when you think about it, for us women, it makes sense as we need a certain amount of fat on our bodies to help us continue to be fertile, to reproduce, carry a baby, feed this baby after we have birthed them. So there is like a more primal um, background to this, if that makes sense. So with estrogen, it's going to want you to hold on to fat, but then also fat's going to produce more estrogen. So it's kind of this cycle that we have to try and like break somewhere because if we let it get too out of whack or too, too high, then we're going to see a lot of issues. The estrogen that signals fat storage is often found in the hips, the butt, and the abdomen. So if our hormone levels are off, or even as we age, we end up with belly fat created by estrogen. And that belly fat is increasing estrogen numbers, as well as contributing to insulin resistance, xenoestrogen storage, and toxin storage as well, because your body loves to store toxins and that kind of stuff in fat cells. And then also, that's where cortisol likes to hide too. Cortisol likes to be stored in fat cells, especially around the belly. So this is going to be significantly compounded if we're having higher stress levels, if we are having high cortisol, if we have any kind of HPA access dysfunction. So that's your stress response system that we've talked about quite a few times. This is all going to be compounded and it's going to lead to further and further dysfunction. So therefore, the common myth of eat less, move more isn't going to work here. It's just going to increase that stress response, which is going to continually put your body into fight or flight. It's going to create lower progesterone levels because when cortisol and stress are high, it steals the precursor to actually produce progesterone. So progesterone cannot be produced in times of high stress. Then we're going to have higher estrogen levels compared to progesterone, which is going to lead to more weight gain. And also if cortisol is high, We're going to maintain and hold on to more belly fat because cortisol needs somewhere to go. And then that weight that's there, that belly fat, is going to increase estrogen levels further. Okay, so why does this happen? All of you are like, 
oh my gosh, I'm ruining my hormones. Oh my gosh, everything that I thought I was doing right is wrong. And I cannot believe that this makes so much more sense. Like I've been doing all the right things and eating so little and I'm not losing weight. And I can't believe I did this to myself. It's okay. Do not panic. We can address this. Um, it's just going to take some time. But you need to realize, don't be super hard on yourself for doing the wrong things in the past, because how are you supposed to know? This information is very much like pigeonholed. There isn't a ton of people who talk about this stuff and explain it, which is why we do this, because it should not be this hard to access information about your body and understand how it works. So why does this happen? Because man, that sucks to hear. We've talked about the actual mechanism of your liver needing to metabolize or break down estrogen. And if it isn't able to do that properly, then we end up with more estrogen circulating in our bloodstream. But what can cause that to happen? Because either we're accumulating, like producing too much estrogen, or we can't get rid of it, or we have too much estrogen compared to progesterone. So what causes the liver to not be able to do this job as well? And no, a detox tea or a juice cleanse isn't going to do this. It's just going to stress out your system more because usually when you're doing this, you're not eating real food. Um, and you'll be like, oh, but I lost weight. No, you just pooped everything that was inside your insides. Like your bowels are empty. That's all that happened. So no, don't run and do some crazy detox. That's not going to help. So what causes the liver to not be so great at this? Because then we can identify what the root cause is and then we can fix it as opposed to just like assuming we're going to have some juices and be fine. Like that's no, we're not, we're not doing that anymore. We're not, we're not doing that. So the environment, which means the food that you eat, the stress that you experience and other lifestyle factors can mess not only with the hormones themselves, we've talked about how your body stops producing stuff as well, but also it decreases your liver function, which is going to directly influence how well your body can filter out what it needs to. So there are a few other things that contribute to estrogen dominance itself, but when we're talking about the liver here, alcohol, you guys, alcohol is going to significantly be so hard on your liver. Okay. When you have alcohol in your body, your body is just prioritizing, trying to get that toxin out of your body. There's no such thing as healthy alcohol. That's not a thing. If you want to have alcohol, that's fine. But realize if you're going to do some detoxes and all this kind of stuff, just pumping your body full of alcohol isn't going to help you. Okay. Um, being aware of the types of foods that you're eating that are harder for your liver to process as well. The stress cortisol directly decreases liver function. Okay. So you have to be aware of what you're doing that increases your cortisol, which is not eating enough food, not eating enough carbohydrates. You are go, go, go all the time. You're doing crazy amounts of cardio. And if you're like, well, Steph, my cortisol levels are low. That means that you have been running on high for so freaking long that now your body cannot communicate with your adrenals to make enough cortisol. So then you're like, oh, well, then to help with my cortisol levels, I'm just going to do a bunch of cardio and I'm going to do some more fasting and things like this that I know are increased cortisol. No, because your system is so stressed out. You're, it's like you've been sending traffic like crazy from your brain to your adrenals. Just go, 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 go. It's just constantly rush hour. And then there's a car pile up. Now no traffic can get by. That signal cannot get to your adrenals to help you. And then you start experiencing a ton of exhaustion and you feel completely depleted and you're having crazy hormonal symptoms 
Blood sugar control is terrible. You're not feeling strong in the gym anymore. Doing those things is just going to make that worse. So what you need to do is if cortisol is low, it takes longer with all the de-stressing stuff and eating enough food and the reverse dieting and exercising appropriately and focusing on your sleep. It takes longer to take you from a level of low cortisol to a better managed state where cortisol levels are where we want them to be versus if your cortisol levels are high because then you're in a stage four situation versus like a stage two situation. So that's not the way to go about this. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So let's talk about some other things that are causing estrogen dominance and what you can do about it. So if you are constipated, you are significantly more prone to struggling with estrogen dominance because since our liver filters out hormones and it needs somewhere to package it up and remove it from the body, it does this by putting that estrogen with the little handle on it that we talked about. Um, it gets into our bile and secreted into the intestines and then into our stool. Okay. If we are not having regular bowel movements, then the estrogen that was filtered out and packaged to leave our body just sits there and sits there and sits there and then gets reabsorbed into your body and goes back into the rotation of your bloodstream. So if you are not pooping on a regular basis, you are more prone to developing estrogen dominance because your body just keeps reabsorbing the toxins and hormones that your body is trying to eliminate from your stool back into your body. Gross. Then if you have gut health issues. So estrogen dominance can make you more susceptible to gut issues like lower digestive enzyme leak levels, leaky gut, SIBO, but at the same time, these issues can make us more prone to estrogen dominance. So it's kind of the chicken or the egg situation here. Typically, when your gut bacteria is healthy and it's working well, we see the removal of estrogen happens through the stool. But when we see that gut bacteria starts getting out of balance, this is going to disrupt the estrogen metabolism process, the breaking down of estrogen. And it's going to lead to an increased amount of enzyme called beta-gluconeur... Beta glucuronidase. Hopefully I say that right. I don't know who names these things, to be completely honest. I'm like, why you gotta do that? That's just like so rude. So rude. Anyways, these enzymes are gonna remove that handle. So remember the liver does its job. It breaks down estrogen, puts that handle on estrogen so it can be delivered out of the body. Well, this enzyme actually goes and is like, hmm, this is a great looking handle. Let's just break that off. And then estrogen can get reabsorbed into circulation. So studies have shown that these specific bacteria are in large numbers in those who have estrogen dominance. So the ones that are taking away this handle. There is also other areas of science that are coming to light and it is called estrobolome. And it's portion of the gut microbiome that involves a collection of enzymes and bacteria that interact with estrogen. So the whole job of this specialized microbiome is to regulate estrogen dominance or estrogen levels. Sorry, that is its main job. And the bacteria have very special capabilities of regulating how much estrogen is circulating, how much is being eliminated, how much is being reabsorbed and recirculated again it has a very important job. Like we mentioned before, you have those enzymes that come in, they break down estrogens back into their active form by getting rid of that little handle and reactivate them so your body ends up reabsorbing them. So there is also a lot of special bacteria that are responsible for making estrogen out of plant materials in our diet, and they convert ligands found in vegetables, legumes, flax seeds, 
and an estrogen-like compounds in the body called phytoestrogens or plant estrogens, which only happens because of the special bacteria that we have that is important for estrogen levels. So a healthy gut paired with healthy estrobilome is super important for healthy estrogen levels. So if you're experiencing a lot of gut health issues, that's something we do have to address. And again, if you're just trying to cut your calories, cut your carbs and do all this crazy exercise and stuff like that, you're going to see that you really struggle. Gut health's not going to improve. But if we have estrogen levels that are out of balance, it's going to result in weight gain. So if we aren't addressing the root cause, you can try and do all of these things, but as long as those estrogen levels are out of whack, you're going to see more fat storage. So you're working really hard and getting no results, and this is part of the problem. But again, nobody talks about these things, which is super frustrating. Um, the next thing that can cause estrogen dominance are estrogen-like chemicals or xenoestrogens. And these chemicals can be found in so many things. It's something that I'm definitely more aware of than I used to be. Um, and it helped me with like getting pregnant and stuff like that. Like I did a really huge focus on hormone health. Cause I, I was a mess for a long, 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 long time. Um, we're talking decades here cause between stress and birth control and all kinds of things, um, wasn't doing myself any favors. So luckily doing all this research into menopause and specialization has helped me over the last couple of years really focus on these things, which helped me dramatically. But again, it wasn't a short journey. So these xenoestrogens can be found in a ton of things like plastics, beauty care products, hair products, cleaning products. They are everywhere. The average woman is exposed to hundreds of these chemicals every single day, and they are very easily absorbed into our bodies from these different types of products. Typically, personal care products and beauty products tend to be the one that people talk about a lot. Um, and what happens is these chemicals are estrogen mimicking and in the body, and they will end up binding to estrogen receptors, making it look like you have more estrogen than you do. And if your liver isn't able to filter out those chemicals, then you're left with circulating estrogen in your bloodstream because your estrogen can't actually attach to the receptors anymore because these chemicals are there. So then estrogen levels start to increase in your bloodstream. Your body can't detox these things leading to these issues. So we did a podcast quite a while ago um, on causes of hormonal imbalance. And I talk a lot about xenoestrogens. So you can go, there's different websites where you can see how safe things are, but some really easy ones are avoiding fast food because those come in a lot of plastic packaging. Um, and you'll have more like phthalates and stuff like that in your bloodstream. Um, avoiding BPAs, things like just drinking out of like a plastic coffee cup um, can increase your exposure as well. So this is why like taking travel cups are always ideal or if you can have coffee in a mug in a coffee shop instead of a to-go cup. Um, the receipts that you get from um, the grocery store and stuff like that, avoiding touching those if you can, like offer email receipts where you can. Um, not warming up food in plastic containers, use like a, a glass bowl or ceramic, things like that. Um, because otherwise plastic can leach into your food, making sure hot food is put into containers once it's already cooled. Um, there's just very small little things that you can do. And I don't want you to like panic and think this is like the be all end all. It's a cumulative effect. It's total exposure over time. And it's no, you aren't able to like add up the different kinds and see where you are, right? It's just limiting exposure wherever possible. So for us, 
we're pretty big on not warming up food in plastic containers anymore. Um, Taylor's been really great for this. We've been slowly working to make sure that we're going to transition to our glass um, containers instead of plastic ones when we're able. We always let food cool before we're putting it into uh, containers in the fridge. Just little things like that that just decrease your exposure is really, really great. Then we have something called an anovulatory cycles. This is a menstrual cycle where you don't release an egg. If you don't ovulate, then we typically see issues with progesterone levels not being in the correct amount in the luteal phase, and this can cause that relative estrogen dominance. So remember how we talked about, yes, you can be producing too much estrogen or not getting enough estrogen out. If progesterone is too low compared to estrogen, then you have relative estrogen dominance. So this is just where progesterone is too low. The next one is one of the biggest ones, which is stress and cortisol. Dun, dun, dun. Surprise, surprise. Uh, when we are stressed, we are going to see an increase in cortisol output. And it does this at the expense of your progesterone. So progesterone cannot be produced in times of high stress because it steals the precursor to build progesterone. So this is a problem because then we have too low progesterone compared to estrogen. And then we start having some crazy, crazy symptoms. Um, and this is, again, this is something that I struggled with. My progesterone was garbage. Um, like so, so low. It was, it was bad. Um, like I was prepared to have to do, um, some fertility treatments and stuff because I, I knew where my progesterone was. We do testing. Like, you know, I was, where my background and my stress and the way my life was. Um, so like this past year was huge, 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 huge for de-stressing, adjusting my exercise, eating enough food, making sure I was prioritizing my carbohydrate intake, um, paying attention to the xenoestrogens, all those things to really try and improve my hormonal balance. And uh, obviously it worked, which is great. But again, it's it's not just any one thing. You have to really be aware of everything. I cut out people out of my life that, you know, weren't, weren't contributing positively anymore that I were kind of draining as opposed to filling up my cup or, you know, when I was around them, I'd be more tempted to have more alcohol, things like that. Um, so it's all those things are stressors on the body and, taking a full inventory and really paying attention, understanding what causes stress in your body, even though you think you're quote unquote handling it well, these processes are still happening in your body, whether you're thinking it or not. And then we have birth control. Hormonal birth control can create the absolute perfect storm for imbalanced hormones. Oftentimes women are put on the birth control pill to help with heavy bleeding or erratic periods, um, signs of estrogen dominance. And by using the pill, we get more estrogen on top of what we already have, which is obviously not going to help. So it's just, it's masking things. And the problem just keeps getting worse and worse and worse because nobody's addressing it, which is a huge issue. The pill is also going to release that synthetic form of progesterone, progestin, which we did a whole podcast on. Um, and it suppresses your body's ability to, to naturally make progesterone. And remember, we need progesterone to check and keep balance of our estrogen levels because otherwise she's super dramatic and you have crazy, crazy symptoms. And lastly, using birth control can lead to a decrease in your liver's ability to filter out hormones. So we see that your liver is working overtime to try and break down this birth control. 
and it's unable to keep up with hormone and toxin load. And then we just end up reabsorbing estrogen into our bloodstream again. So I know a lot of you guys are like, oh, I've been on birth control for a long time or, oh, my daughter's on birth control and been on it for a long time. So this is why this information, I just don't understand why it's not more widely shared, why it's not more widely talked about, because it can cause serious issues. And then you are already in like a hormonal imbalance with your birth control. Then you hit a time of stress. Then you go through perimenopause where hormones are really drastic dropping and the birth control already put you in a poor position. So then as soon as your hormones naturally start to decline, even though things were already not in balance before, and you start experiencing stressors or the COVID or whatever it was, then you have this like crazy aggressive, holy crap, I gained weight so fast out of nowhere. I feel like garbage. I feel like I'm crazy. My like mood is insane. I'm irritable. I'm emotional. I'm anxious. I'm tense. I can't sleep. I have hot flashes and night sweats and I'm bloating and my hair is thinning and I feel like my skin just looks like I'm aging so quickly. Like all of these things and you're not crazy, but it's because nobody talks to you about these things before it ends up being quote unquote, not too late, but like before it's a real problem because nobody is addressing what is causing your irregular periods. What is causing the PMS? Like we don't evaluate the person's whole lifestyle and nutrition and exercise. Like when's the last time your doctor asked you, Hey, are you eating enough? Literally never. It's always, you need to eat less food. You need to cut down your carbohydrates. You should try fasting. You should start doing a ton of cardio. Like, no, why would you say that when you don't even know what the person's going through? You haven't done a full inventory of their life. Like the lack of knowledge and understanding and even like emphasis on hormone health and how the whole body is going to influence that is insane to me because what we try to do is we try to isolate one thing in the body and you can't do that. So let's take a look at like heart disease, for example. We focus on the heart. We give you like anti-cholesterol medication. We put a stint in or whatever kind of treatment you end up doing. But does anyone talk to you about your stress? They're sure quick to tell you, eat less food, take out fat from your diet. Like you need to exercise more, but they don't ask you, what is stress like? Are you sleeping okay? What's your digestion like? Because we know all of these different systems are going to influence each other. But yet we try to isolate everything, especially like a thyroid. The amount of things that influence thyroid function is insane. So you can't just be like, oh, it's this and then give them medication. It's like, it could be stress. It could be hormones. It could be blood sugar. It could be your liver. It could be your gut health. Like there's so many things, but they don't ask you about that. They don't go, oh, you have thyroid issues. Let's do a full hormone panel. That's very uncommon. So being aware of how all these things are intertwined is incredibly important for you to be able to be healthy and actually get to where you want to be. Because the advice that most people are getting from doctors makes me want to pull my hair out. So what can we do? (laughs) Because I know all of you are like, well, Steph, I am depressed now. I'm going to get to work and feel absolutely terrible about myself. So let's try and give you um, some tangible tips here. Again, you can always message me. I'm always happy to help. But the first thing is we need to heal our hormones. First and foremost, 
We need to figure out what the root cause is of the issues that you're having. Because like I said, there's so many things that can be causing stuff and just giving you someone a band-aid with a medication is not going to do anything. So there are specific supplements or diets that we can use to really help with estrogen dominance. There are things like DIM, which is a phytonutrient found in cruciferous veggies like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, kale, and cabbage. It blocks the androgen receptors as well as inhibits an enzyme that can lead to lower estrogen levels. Um, But it does that by increasing beneficial metabolism pathways or breaking down pathways that support the right way to break down estrogen to just help with your estrogen levels. Um, But it's important to note that DIM for women in perimenopause and onwards is not something I recommend. And here's why. You have three different estrogen detox pathways. DIM only does one. DIM is also extremely potent. And if you don't have a, if you don't know which pathway it is, it won't do anything. But also if you're in perimenopause and menopause and we're looking at fluctuations in your estrogen levels and someone's just like, oh, you have like symptoms of estrogen dominance, take DIM, that's going to tank your estrogen. And then we start having to deal with the symptoms of low estrogen, which are very similar to high estrogen, but can make you feel worse. Like hot flashes are typically going to be one of the first things that we see. So it's not something I recommend for women in perimenopause and menopause. Um, Again, get your levels tested. If you can do a Dutch test, that's ideal because then you can see which pathway is actually the one that's not working properly or detoxing properly. Um, But we're so quick to just hop on any supplement, right? That's just supposed to help, but you don't know, is it because you're producing too much? Is it because you can't get rid of it? Or is it because your progesterone's too low? We need to figure that out first. That's important. And I'll talk about a few other things here first before we go into other, some, some other things that you can do, but I wouldn't be going to dim without having a doctor actually test everything first and feel 100% certain that this is the issue and this will help. But it's not going to be the only thing. You have to do other things to help because, again, that's just another band-aid approach. Um, There are also, you could do calcium deglucurate, which can really help with the gut microbiome imbalances. It inhibits the activity of the enzyme that helps take that handle off, right? Which we don't want. So then you won't see that you get estrogen being reabsorbed as much. B vitamins, super affordable, super, super easy to get access to. Um, I always recommend women take a vitamin B complex at 50 in the morning, every day. If your pee turns a little bit neon yellow or neon green, that's okay. That's just your body excreting the excess that it doesn't need. But B vitamins, if you've been on birth control, you're going to be depleted of them because that's what birth control does. It depletes you of your B vitamins. So, but B vitamins are really important for supporting stress levels, for energy function, for liver metabolism pathways. So breaking down hormones. Um, And so pairing that with things like stress reduction techniques, like walking and deep breathing, um, doing something creative, maybe it's journaling, taking a Epsom salt, things, Epsom salt bath, um, massages, things like that can be great. But I recommend every woman who is on birth control or has been on birth control or is going through perimenopause and menopause. So literally most women in the world should be taking a vitamin B complex. Um, because 
it's very easy for our body to get depleted of it. And in the age that we're in right now, in terms of all the financial stress and all of the COVID stuff we went through and grief and taking care of sick parents and kids and life is just so crazy compared to how it used to be that we need everything we can to armor ourselves against stress. And B vitamins are essential for energy, for liver function, for hormone metabolism pathways, and helping buffer stress. Another great supplement is magnesium biglycinate. Take this at nighttime. Um, This will help you with relaxation, again, with hormonal pathways, um, and will help you get a better night's sleep as well. So taking that at nighttime is great. And when you let it for sleeping better at nighttime, our cortisol levels are going to be more regulated, which is going to help with progesterone levels and then your estrogen progesterone balance as well. Then we can look at our diets, which everyone's like, mm, don't love that. What are you going to tell me not to eat, right? Well, diet is super important with helping estrogen dominance and supporting healthy hormone levels in general. Um, but especially when it comes to supporting your liver. We want to have a healthy liver so it can metabolize hormones properly, break them down properly um, so that our hormone balance is better. So foods that specifically support estrogen balance are going to be broccoli, cabbage, kale, broccoli sprouts, sprouts, flax seeds. Seed cycling can help a ton. Um, High quality proteins. Um, we've got beef, we have poultry, we have eggs, you can do lentils, shiitake mushrooms, carrots, avocado, blackberries, beets, dandelion root. These are all foods that can really help support healthy estrogen levels. And as you can see, there's a wide variety of stuff. So it shouldn't be too hard to try and incorporate those like carrots, toss those into a soup, toss them into a salad, berries, delicious on their own, avocado, love taco Tuesday. Broccoli, cabbage, kale, broccoli sprouts, super easy to toss into a salad. Um, I love broccoli sprouts myself. They're super great for you. Um, And then, of course, your high-quality proteins. So what other steps can we take to help with hormone health? Because everyone's like, Steph, you always tell us to de-stress. You always tell us to eat more food. You always tell us to eat our carbs. Yeah, a lot of this is going to be repetitive because turns out those things are super important for hormone health for everything in your body to function as it should. So first and foremost, one of the best things that you can do is get tested. You can make educational guesses all you want. Um, And yes, we have hormonal symptom assessments. It helps us identify what the most likely issues are that you're having and help us really make a plan for towards that. And typically it's going to be lifestyle and nutrition. We'll give you some supplementation ideas. Typically vitamin B complex is going to be on there. However, Getting an actual test helps so much. It's just the real, almost like secret path, I like to call it, because we can identify exactly what's going on in your body. So it's kind of like a way to get from point A to point Z easier. There's less troubleshooting to go along the way. We know what's going on in your body, which detox pathways are the biggest issue that we see, and really be able to hone in and address those root causes and fix the problems that we can see are happening. So the Dutch test is an amazing tool. I love it. I helped, it helped me so, so much. Like I didn't think I'd be able to get pregnant. So this has been a huge blessing and it helped me so much. And we see it help so many women um, and just gives us a good idea of exactly what's happening in your body. It offers the best type of testing for hormones. 
Dried urine and saliva, and if you're still menstruating, is a great way to look at what hormones are doing at key times during your cycle. So testing in the middle of your luteal phase will give us a good look at estrogen as well as progesterone levels. But the Dutch test will outline when you take it, if there's any foods you shouldn't be having. It's super simple, super easy to follow. Um, and again, like for me, it made made all the difference. Like it was, it made me be able to have a baby. So I'm like pretty excited about that. Um, the next one is supporting your liver and its abilities to filter out toxins and hormones. Obviously, this is something I've talked about a few times in this podcast already, but eat healthy qualities, proteins, have garlic. Garlic is great. In our household, we measure garlic with the heart. It is so good for your liver. Onions also make food super delicious, amazing for your liver. Cruciferous veggies every week, supplementing with a vitamin B complex. Um, that can help so, 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 so much. So protein, garlic, onions, cruciferous veggies, vitamin B complex. Boom. Easy way to support your liver without doing some weird, dumb tea juice things. Not a good time. The next one is really checking out your digestion and your gut health. If you are having constipation, then your body is stopping estrogen from leaving as needed. So remember, it just keeps reabsorbing and recirculating it, making things worse. So we have to look at the possible causes of constipation imbalances in your gut flora, SIBO, leaky gut. But a lot of the times it's just, are you drinking water? Are you having carbohydrates? Are we eating enough food? Because if you're not eating enough food, your body gets too stressed out. Blood flow goes away from your gut to your arms and legs to fight the bear or run away from the bear. And that really slows down digestion, which means you're more likely to have reabsorption of your hormones, which we don't want. So what we see is if you eat enough food, if you eat enough carbohydrates, if you're drinking enough water and doing something actively to improve your hormone resiliency or your stress resiliency, digestion improves. Like I talked to women who they were fasting and cutting calories and cutting carbs and got them eating enough food, eating enough carbs, eating regularly. We're not skipping meals and we played with their exercise a little bit. Usually we're reducing amount of cardio, increasing our strength training usually working out two to three days a week and boom, all of a sudden you're pooping every day. Amazing. Amazing. The next one is making sure you're getting enough fiber. So anywhere from 20, 25 grams ish of fiber per day, especially in the forms of fruit and veggies. Um, and those cruciferous veggies will make a huge, huge difference for you. This will help keep digestion running smoothly by feeding the good gut bacteria, keeping your bowel movements regular, helpful in eliminating hormones and waste and getting unwanted estrogen out of the body. And fiber containing foods can be avocados. Again, Taco Tuesday, gotta love it. Berries, delicious. Artichokes, oatmeal, popcorn, almonds, broccoli, Brussels sprouts. Um, oatmeal is something I have multiple times a week. Everyone's like, oh, but you got to use organic, right? Because there's all this crazy stuff about oatmeal on the internet. No, I use Quaker's quick rolled oats. And you know what? They are great. They are delicious. There is nothing wrong with them. People just love to fear monger certain foods because, you know, it gets them the views and all that stuff. And that's such crap. Why don't we actually help people? Most people aren't eating enough fiber. Most people aren't eating enough oats. So like, eat your oats. It's fine. Man, people drive me crazy. This is why I hate this field sometimes. Um, you can get some phytoestrogens in. So this is uh, especially important if your estrogen levels are high um, 
and they can block receptors and protect you from the risks of excess estrogen levels. They're also helpful when estrogen is low, so they can provide enough support for estrogen levels and increase them healthfully. Stress levels, like I said, it's the hardest thing to work through. You can't remove stressors from your life, so you need to be able to understand how to buffer that stress through proper nutrition, eating enough food, eating enough carbs, adjusting your exercise. We really need to support our adrenals because that's going to have the biggest impact on our health, our hormones, and our mood. There are studies after study after study after study that show stress is the silent killer. This is what's killing us. This is what's causing chronic conditions. So we need to lower those stress levels by getting enough sleep, practicing self-care, doing the things that fill up our cup, um, saying no to more things. Just because you're free does not mean that you're available. Just because your calendar is open doesn't mean you have time for other people. You need to do things for yourself. We need to get ourselves out of fight or flight. So doing feet up on the wall, going for a light walk, doing things to really improve your energy levels and fill up that cup is so important. Sleep, as I mentioned before, can really help with the impact of stress on our system but in itself, it's an important part to healthy hormones. So for myself, when I was really working on my hormone health, when things were in a really, really, really bad position, I thought, okay, if we're going to have kids, like I need to, I need to do something about this. Um, also I feel like garbage and I don't want to feel like this anymore. Um, body composition was tough. I was having a hard time putting on muscle. Um, and I was a total gym junkie. So like that was really hard for me. Um, so I have my order of priorities. This is something I'm going to talk about on a different podcast a little bit, but you kind of figure out what are those things that you prioritize first. For me, sleep is always number one. It goes sleep, nutrition, activity. Because if I'm not sleeping, my nutrition choices are going to be crap. My emotional regulation is going to be poor. It'll be the slightest thing will make me cry. Um, and if I'm exhausted and not sleeping enough, there's no way that I can work out. So sleep is the number one thing that I focus on. If I am sleeping enough and getting good quality sleep, it's easier to make good food choices. Okay. I'm not reaching for candy and chips and all those kinds of things. I'm, you know, it's easier to eat well. You're not, you're not in a susceptible like mental state where you like need to comfort eat because you're stressed out because the sleep really helps buffer that like a lot. Sleep is also going to help you with your blood sugar regulation. You're less likely to have crashes and cravings. Your cortisol levels are going to be lower. It's easier to put on muscle mass because you have more growth hormones circulating when you're in your deep sleep and REM sleep. So sleeping is super important. Like aiming for seven to eight hours of sleep, which really means you're in bed for like eight to nine. Um, studies show that you need an additional hour in bed above what you would like to sleep in order to get that amount of sleep. So you want eight hours, you need to be in bed for nine. That accounts for the time it takes to fall asleep as well as like any tossing and turning or waking up at nighttime, things like that. So there's lots of things that you can do to start improving your sleep because a lot of people are like, Steph, I haven't slept till I had kids. You're going to see what it's like. No, because I'm very proactive about this stuff. Sure, I'm going to be exhausted at the beginning. Absolutely. I think that's normal with anyone who has kids. I've seen so many of my friends go through it. Um, I have lots of little baby experiences in my life, but there are things that you should be doing that are going to help a ton. 
So the first is eating enough food. If you are not eating enough food, your cortisol levels are going to be higher. When cortisol is high, you cannot sleep. It will keep you up. You will toss and turn as your body's on high alert all of the time. Carbohydrates. Carbohydrates lower cortisol levels. Carbohydrates also increase melatonin, your sleepy hormone. So having carbs at nighttime can actually really help. And no, you can't have chips because that's a very quick digesting carbs and you'll end up waking from a sugar crash. But having oatmeal with protein powder, having popcorn with a turkey pepperoni stick, having protein balls, having toast with peanut butter or an egg, having meat, cheese, and crackers, yogurt with protein powder. Let's just avoid quick digesting carbs. We want to avoid the super desserty, um, the candy, the chips, that kind of stuff before bed. We want to have a good balanced snack that's got some carbs in it with some protein or fat. That's going to help balance your blood sugars. It's going to help bring your cortisol levels down, your sleepy hormone up, and allow you to fall asleep more easily. Making sure that you are wearing blue blocker glasses at nighttime can be a huge thing um, because we know that the blue light from TV screens, for example, can really affect our ability to make melatonin. It can actually break it down, making it harder to fall asleep. Um, so try and, if you can, have less lights on in the house at nighttime. Use, um, what do you call it? Like those salt lamps and stuff like that. Just a really light um, light in the in the room instead because that really helps your body like get ready and wind down for bed. Um, you can do practice feet up, try and avoid being on your phone, doing some stretching, anything that's relaxing that brings your heart rate down, brings your breathing rate down to really help you relax before bed. Then you can work on reducing xenoestrogen um, exposure. So reducing plastic use, especially BPAs, Use glass and stainless steel or ceramic containers for eating, drinking, food storage. Never reheat food in a plastic container. Try not to handle store receipts because they are a huge source of BPAs. And that's really absorbed quickly through our hands, especially if we're using hand sanitizers. It's going to increase the absorption of BPAs. So all of this COVID hand sanitizer stuff has actually most likely increased your exposure to BPAs. Try and choose those cleaner cosmetics if you can. So avoiding ones with parabens, um, phthalates, synthetic uh, fragrances. You can look up products on the Environment Working Group, um, Skin Deep Database, or the Think Dirty app. That's a really great one. Um, take your shoes off when you enter the house so you don't track in pesticides and other chemicals. Um, choose organic when you can. There's the food list for the Dirty Dozen. Um, it's updated and released every single year. You can also check out the Clean 15 and know that you don't have to worry about pesticide use on those particular fruits and veggies. Um, so you don't have to worry about buying organic there. And then lastly, alcohol. Remember at the one at one point or another, there's going to be a time when your hormones are not aligned or out of sync with each other. Um, alcohol is a toxin. It's hard on our livers. You're also going to see the conversion of testosterone to estrogen with alcohol. You're going to see an increase in your cortisol levels. They're going to see a decrease in your progesterone levels. You're going to see an increase in your fluid retention. And that's not going to be great for hormone health or your waistline as well. So I'm not saying don't drink alcohol, but it is important to be aware and make choices where you can. Like now you have informed information, you can make an informed decision, um, but then you got to take responsibility for those choices that you make as well. So you can't complain about estrogen dominance and all the things you're struggling with if you're drinking wine every single night.
you have to be aware that that's probably one of the contributing factors here. But if you want to make that choice, it's completely up to you. I'm not going to judge you. Wine is delicious. Do as you may. Um, but you have to be taking responsibility for the choices that you're making, especially now that you know the influence that it has on your body. So again, remember at some point in your life, there is going to be a time where hormones are not going to be aligned. And maybe it happens at multiple points in your life. And that's okay. We have all used birth control or hormones or had huge life strange changes. We've had crazy changes in our stress levels. Um, maybe we've had times where we aren't sleeping well. We used products that we knew weren't great for us. We're drinking a lot more alcohol than we have than we should. And all those things are going to contribute to hormonal imbalances. The important thing to know is that you are always in control. There are so many things that you can do to support your body and hormones. So like we mentioned before, the foundations of healthy hormones are always going to be eating well and eating enough, fueling our bodies appropriately, and that means getting enough carbs and protein in, focusing on your quality sleep, proper hydration, eating enough fiber, and then seeking help and support as needed. Because again, we give you so much information. I know it can be super overwhelming, but when you look at all the different specific things I talk about and all the different hormones and menopause and everything that we talk about, it comes down to understanding the response of stress and that you're likely a lot more stressed out than you think you are. So you need to eat enough food. You need to focus on food quality, having enough carbohydrates and protein, proper sleep, hydration, the right kind of activity, and then making sure we're getting enough fiber. Yes, it sounds simple. That doesn't mean it's easy. It's boring. It's going to take time. If you have any questions, please just let me know. I'm always, always, always happy to help and calculate things for you. Booking a consultation call is probably the quickest way to get that done for you. Um, you can always message me as well if you prefer, prefer. It just takes me a little bit longer because I do have a lot of people who are messaging me. But if you want to book a consultation call to get your calories and just discuss kind of where you're at and what you should be doing instead and kind of give you a plan. That's a great option as well. Um, we're always, always, always happy to do that for you. No questions asked. We won't even bring up coaching unless you ask about it. We just want to help because there's too many people that have been led astray by the industry. Um, and we want to fix that. So have a great rest of your day and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.